This morning we are, we are looking at friends. And a lot of these, uh, these that we're going to look at in, in chapter 27, uh, verses 5 through 10, they, they talk about uh, having friends from the standpoint of the person who, is, who the focus is on is receiving the friendship. And the friendship is interacting on them. But I want us, as we look at these verses and, and as we consider what true friends look like and act like, that we would not just think about, well, what kind of friends do I have? But that we would also turn what kind of a friend am I? Because it it is structured and it is worded in such a way to encourage the person needing wisdom that comes to Proverbs in what kind of people they should associate with and become friends with. What kind of people do I want to invest my uh, relationships with? And so, so that's why it's written from the standpoint of this internal person looking at what kind of friends do I have? But uh, for us as believers in Jesus, where, uh, you know, he, he asked what kind of what, which person with the story of the Good Samaritan, you know, which person was a neighbor to him? But the focus was on, not on uh, who is my neighbor, but truly, who am I a neighbor to? And so in the same way, as we look at this, as we, as we look at these um, ideas of what kind of people make true friends, and what are the behaviors and actions of true friends to me, we also want to be considering how can I be a true friend to those in my life and to those around me. So let's look at both angles of that as we begin in uh, verse 5. And, and I, I got to tell you, I'm really, it, it was just, this is just a little rabbit trail, but uh, I really wanted to get earlier verses in this too because I love verse 1 and verse 2. Uh, but we, we focused it on the friends thing. So I just want to encourage you this week, read this chapter in its entirety. It's got some really good stuff in it besides these six verses that we're looking at. But what I want to do this morning uh, is, is, since it's a short passage, let's read it together because some of, the, some of the verses skip over one another and go together thematically. And then we're going to break it down into the different uh, points that Solomon is making about friendship. In verse 5 we begin, Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. A sated man loathes honey, but to a famished man any bitter thing is sweet. Like a bird that wanders from her nest, so is a man who wanders from his home. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. So a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. Do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother far away. So in the very beginning, in verses 5 and 6, we see that he says, Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Now, obviously, it's better to have love, or we would, more, uh, we would enjoy love more than rebuke. Nobody wants to have the correction and the rebuke that we get when we are doing something wrong. But 
this better than structure that he's got is, look, it's, it's better that you receive that thing that you really don't like. It's better that you receive that thing that is constructive and can help you grow, like open rebuke that is visible, right? And, and to a certain extent, the idea could even be better open rebuke where somebody is rebuking you in public. Like that's the worst. You know, what do we, what do we tell people to do? You take people in private to correct them. You don't want to shame them in front of the group. But it is better to have that experience than it is to have somebody who loves you or has love for you, but they conceal it. And that word conceal doesn't just mean, oh, it's, it's hidden, but that they have actively hidden it. That they actively try to hide and keep people from knowing that they do care for you, that they do have that love for you. And so it's, it's one of these, it's better to have the thing that we would consider to be bad out in the open than to have somebody conceal that which we would think is good. And I, I struggle with that verse a little bit because there are so many times where I feel like I'm not good at uh, communicating my care for other people or communicating my love for them. It's, it's been one of the things I've practiced probably for the better part of the last decade here to try to use the words, I love you, with uh, our congregation. You know, it's not something that is easy. And so I'm, I, am, I don't know about you, but I, I, get, I feel a little rebuked by this verse here that oftentimes I think I conceal my love. I don't go out of my way to share it so much. And I probably uh, openly rebuke people way too much. Yeah, so I'm just all sorts. Proverbs... One of the reasons why I love Proverbs and I don't like Proverbs is that it just, boy, it leaves your heart bare and open to how short we come to God's standards and God's ways. Anyway, uh, verse 6 continues this idea of what is open and and what is closed and what is good and what is bad. But now it, it changes it a little bit. He says, faithful are the wounds of a friend but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. And, and this is very, very obvious to us, I think, that, that an enemy who is flattering you, an enemy who kisses you, uh, an enemy who is gracious and kind to you, those actions are deceitful. They are trying to butter you up so they can hurt you. They're trying to slide in and, and keep you from knowing what they, their true intent think they're my friend, but all the time they're your enemy and they're working against you. Alternatively, he says that, that instead of deceit, it's faithful when a friend wounds you. And, and wound is the idea of a bruise. You know, they, 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 they bruise you. They might bruise your ego. They might bring you down a, little, a, a couple of pegs. But these are faithful because they're coming from a friend. Friends rebuke us and... and and just like in verse 5, you know, the open rebuke. Friends can come if they're good friends. They don't want to just let you go the way you're going. They're going to, if they see something that is harmful, they're going to come and tell you. Hopefully in a loving and in a kind way. But they're not going to just let you go doing something that is harmful to yourself or to other people around you. They're going to come and they're going to rebuke you. They're going to come and they might even wound you. They might bruise you a little bit. But those are faithful because they're coming from a friend. Whereas 
a person who you know, might love you, they're a friend to you, but they don't, they don't show it. They conceal it. Or an enemy who shows great love for you, but inwardly they're working against you. Those things are deceitful. Those things do not help. And, and so what Solomon is saying in these first two verses is, is that true friends are honest. They're going to be open with a rebuke, even if it hurts. They're going to be willing to wound you, even if it hurts. They're going to be honest with you. Whereas an enemy is going to be deceitful with you. They're going to, to hide their true motives with their, their kisses. And, and a, a true friend's not going to do that. A true friend is going to be willing to risk maybe even the friendship and speak truth to you, to be honest, to be clear. Not, not to give you kisses, but to let you go your own way is what he's saying here. One of the things we, we should seek is those people who can be uh, honest with us. But I also think what we need to try, strive for as individuals is that we would seek to be true and intimate friends with people around us. You know, that, that idea of not concealing something, but having it be open and noticed. It's part of being an honest friend, I think, is, is, is being able to be intimate with one another, that, that we can know the good and the bad and deal with it, and be truthful. I think sometimes we're afraid of if we share a certain part of ourselves, even with a close friend, they might not be as close a friend anymore. And so to have somebody that you can be open, uh, intimate, not in the physical meaning of that word, but in the idea of opening yourself up to and bearing yourself so that they see who you truly are. To be honest. True friends are honest. They don't cover things up. They don't hide their true feelings with kisses when they're not really happy. They might even bruise you a bit. They might wound you. But that is faithful. And, and there, there is something to that that when our friends, when our friends rebuke us, when our friends say something that we don't like to hear, they're not our enemy. I don't know about you, but I sometimes, I quite often probably, respond to friends who are trying to help me as if they are trying to hurt me. That's just why my natural, uh, you know, stray dog in the pound reaction. You're trying to feed me, there must be a problem here. I'm going to bite your hand. But we have to remind ourselves that, that the wounds of a friend are faithful. That they are doing it in good faith. They're not trying to hurt us, but to help us grow in the Lord, hopefully, if they're, if they're believers as well. The next four verses, 7, 8, 9, and 10, actually are, are what we would call parallel verses in the sense that 7 go together and then 8 and 10 go together. So let's look at 7 and 9 together. And, and, and verse 7 tells us, A sated man loathes honey, but to a famished man any bitter thing is sweet. And this is a verse I heard a lot as a kid when I was turning down vegetables. You know, I don't want to eat that. And I would that obviously I had too many good things to eat in my life. And that maybe if I was hungrier, I wouldn't mind eating those Brussels sprouts. 
which we called chokums. Because he had to choke them down. We didn't know about roasting Brussels sprouts back then. They were steamed. Anyway. A sated man loathes honey. The idea is you are so full, even though you have something that is sweet and delicious, you don't want to eat it. It's the idea that you are so full, even though that that prize-winning dessert is brought in, no, I just couldn't taste it. And Have you ever been in that kind of a situation where you ate so much, and, and we got Thanksgiving in a month, so maybe, you know, you, you eat so much that when it comes time for dessert, the good stuff, the fun stuff, the sweet stuff, oh, I got eat it. You, you don't even enjoy it if you do try to eat it. You don't enjoy it. And that's what he's saying here, that a, 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 a sated man loathes, loathes honey. He doesn't even enjoy it. But to a famished man, to somebody who is hungry, any bitter thing is sweet. Even though it's bitter, because of your hunger, it becomes sweet to you. You, you enjoy it. You want to eat it. It's bitter, but I don't care. It doesn't taste that good. I don't care. I'm hungry. Now, what does this have to do with friendship, though? This seems like it's talking about don't overeat, which obviously is a message that Baptists need to hear, especially next week. We've got the fellowship meal coming. We've got to watch out. We don't overeat. But it means more than that. It goes along with verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. So a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. So you've got that idea of sweet going together. That which is bitter to a famished man is sweet. A man's counsel is sweet to his friend. Sometimes our counsel that we can give one another, like I was saying in the last two verses about open rebuke and wounds, sometimes our friends come to us with things that we do not enjoy to hear. They are bitter to us. And yet, even bitter counsel, even things where a friend comes to us and has to share with us in a difficult, hard time, can be sweet because of their counsel for us. But also there's the idea of oil and perfume. Now, on, on the surface, oil and perfume are, are good things. You know, especially in a, in a city that did not have indoor plumbing and did not have necessarily daily bathing, oil and perfume were important. Uh, the Romans would use oil to clean their bodies. You would rub your body over with oil and you would scrape it off and it would get all the dirt and all the grime and all the dead skin cells off your body. But, but the idea, and, and you have in, in Psalms and in the Old Testament, so many times they talk about like oil in Aaron's beard. You know, like, like this, is, this is God's blessing on us that we could have oil and that you could have perfume. And that word perfume, it, it's, it means incense or the smoke of the offering. It's not like, you know, smell good. It's the idea of the offerings to God. But also that you would burn incense. And there's a reason why um, churches that were formed and, and you know, in, in, in the old days, in the Middle Ages and before, use a lot of incense in their worship because you get a bunch of people who, going back to the hygiene situation, don't bathe regularly. You cram them all into a room, it's kind of nice to have some overpowering incense going. And that's why you get them, you know, shaking the incense all over the place. 
So this, this has kind of the idea of these are things that bless us. It makes your heart glad. It's good to smell good things and not bad things. It's good to have the oil that softens your beard or that can soften uh, your skin. But there's another, there, there's another side to that, that oil and perfume kind of have the idea of the good things in life. And so the good things in life make a person glad. They make the heart glad. And that word heart, as we've seen earlier in Proverbs, means the inner man, the, the, the will, the mind. You know, the good things in life can really make your heart glad. And in fact, you can have the good things in life to the point where you are sated and, and honey doesn't even satisfy or make it. You're not, you don't even desire to eat honey. You loathe honey. And you could have people in your life that are great fun. And they're all about the party. And it's always fun when you're with them. But yet when things get hard, what happens to them? No, they're, they're, they're good for the party. They're good for the oil. They're good for the perfume. They're good for the fine food. But where are they when things get tough? Where are they when things get bitter? Well, he says a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. There are those people in our lives, and, and so this is where these two verses kind of come together in this idea of, of there are those things that overflow us. In fact, uh, there are other places in Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, talking about, you know, the rich have so many friends. The poor man has no friends. Right? The idea that there are people who are, are fair-weather friends. They're with you when the times are good. They're with you when there's a party going on. They're with you when things are great. But where are they when things are bitter? Oh, when you're bitter, when you're hungry, when you're famished, any bitter thing is sweet. When you don't have a lot, just a little bit, even a, just one good friend is sweetness to you. And, and, and as good as oil and perfume are that they make the heart glad, well, it's greater to have a friend who gives you good counsel. That is sweet to your soul. And so first we have that true friends are honest. And you're looking for those true friends that will, will, will be with you in, in the bitter times, the hard times. But I think one of the things that's looking at here is instead of the fair weather friends, the ones that are there when it's good, a true friend is invested. And, and, and they care about you. And they are willing to give you counsel. And that idea of counsel is, is that they, are, they, will, they will walk you through and they will walk with you through the bitter times or the difficult times. A true friend is invested in who you are and in your life. They're going to they're gonna stop what they're doing. When you have a problem and you're having trouble, they're going to they're gonna stop and say, well, let's look at this together. And they're not necessarily going to tell you what you want to hear they might share some bitter truth with you. But their counsel, hopefully by the end of it, will be sweet. It will be sweetness to your soul. Have you ever had one of those experiences where you go to a good friend and you share with them the struggle that you're having? Or maybe you share with them a, a choice that you're trying to make. And they give you guidance and wisdom. And they give you encouragement. They might challenge you. They might tell you, I don't think this is what you need to be doing. But by the time you're done talking to them, your burden isn't quite as heavy. 
the path forward isn't quite as dark. You know which way you're going to go, and they've encouraged you. Even if they've told you, I disagree with you, they can still, by the end of it, you're encouraged. That's because true friends are invested in you, and you know they are. And, And so, again, the same question for us. How can we make sure that we are invested in the people around us? That we're not just the person who's there for the good times, when things are going great, when the parties are on, but when they're struggling. How can we be a good, true friend who's invested and will, will give counsel that is sweet to the soul? You could really take verses 7, and 10, or 7 through 10 and, and make one point because it's very similar what 8 and 10 say. They, they really go together. Verse 8, kind of like verse 7 where you're like, okay, we're talking about food. Well, verse 8, like a bird that wanders from her nest, so is a man who wanders from his home. Doesn't seem to have much to do about friendship. It's the idea that it's not good to go too far away from home. Just as a bird that wanders from her nest, she doesn't have a place to stay. She is in danger. A man who wanders from his home. The idea being that in, in Israel... Your home was important. Your home would be on ancestral land that you'd inherited from your parents and from your father and your grandfather all the way back to your tribe from the conquest of Canaan. This land is important. And the people that you live among are family. And so to wander from them is to go away from family. And that is what he's talking about. That that is dangerous to do. And, and verse 10 continues this idea of family. Do not forsake your own friend or your father's friend. And and that forsaking the friend, I think it ties in very well with uh, verse 9 right before about the, you know, oil and having a party is a wonderful thing and friends are, are, you know, good weather friends. But don't, what we really want is that friend that's with us in the bitter times that gives us counsel. Well, here, the instruction is to the, the young man who needs to learn wisdom. Don't forsake your own friends or your father's friends. So it's, it's a not just my generation, but it's even the generation above. Notice it's not or your son's friends, but it's your father's friends. That as a, as a son, as a loyal and obedient and good son, you would not just... Be loyal to your own friends, but also, and not just loyal to your father, but to your father's friends as well. That you'll care for the men in his life, just as you would care for the men in your own life, for the women as the case may be. Although this is written, you know, guided towards a man, but we can apply it to women as our, in the same way. It's the idea of not just caring about your own, but also for your fathers, for the other generation. That idea of forsake means to leave or to lose something. So you you let it go. You loose it. Or you leave it yourself. Don't forsake your friends. Stick with your friends. And stick with your father's friends as well. The idea is is you, you, you don't get away. You don't cut yourself off so you have fewer people that you're accountable to. And yet you don't just say just my, just my generation or just my close people. But even a friend of your father's can speak to you. And you can, you can care for him as well. 
Verse 10 continues, And do not go to your brother's house in the day of calamity. So, do not forsake your friends or your father's friends. That makes sense. But do not go to your brother's house in the day of calamity absolutely goes against everything else that we've seen. Verse 8 said, like a bird that wanders from her nest is a man who wanders from his house, from his home. And now he's saying, do not go to your brother's house. The whole focus is that you're supposed to be uh, close, stay with family, be a friend to your family. But so wouldn't you go to a brother's house in the day of your calamity? Why wouldn't you is, is what we should be asking. Because the Israelites, the expectation would be that you do go to a brother's house in the day of your calamity. But then there's the second part of that. The very last part of the verse. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother far away. And the idea there is, is that your brother might not live right next to you. Your brother might be distant from you. Instead of making the journey to your brother's house in a day of calamity, it would be better for you to go to your neighbor's house for help. I've actually had times when, when this is applied to me, not uh, physical brothers. All my brothers are too far away to do, do us any good as far as help. But sometimes at home, uh, when something goes wrong, my initial thought is, who of you I should call? for help, instead of my neighbors right next door. And it can be kind of odd for me at times, awkward, to accept help from a neighbor next door. Call a brother to come and help me. Get in your car and drive over to my house. And then just walk next door or accept the help of one of my neighbors sometimes. I'm not saying that's right, I'm saying that's wrong, but it's such a, a weird way to be, and it's true though. So not, not my brother, not my blood brothers, my, my brothers growing up, but my brothers in Christ would be my thing there. And, and what he's saying here, what the encouragement is, is, is that we should be friends with our neighbors, that we should strive to be friends with our neighbors and to, to, to be able to, to help our neighbors and also to ask for help from our neighbors. And this is something that you cannot be so hard, but as our culture has changed, as our ways have changed, neighbors have changed. We get to the point where a lot of people don't know their neighbors. And if they do, they've never really been in the neighbor's house. How many of your neighbors have you shared a meal with? How many of your neighbors, if you needed some help, you could go to them and they would help you? I, I can tell you how many of my neighbors' houses I've been into. And, and I can count it on one hand and I don't need all my fingers. I can tell you how Often, and I've asked my neighbors for help. And probably going back to the same hand, I can use the rest of those fingers there. We're supposed to be friends with the people who we live next door to and around with. We should be friends to them. We should, we should look upon them and, and, and develop a friendship with them so that we can go to them when we need help and that we don't have to bother people that are too far away.
beyond that focus on neighbor, though, is we're, we're thinking about true friends. Uh, part of this is applying to make friends of your neighbors and, and trust your neighbors and be a friend to your neighbor. But beyond that, as we're talking about how to apply these verses to the idea of what does it look like to be a true friend and what, a, what does a true friend behave in these ways? Well, the idea of not forsaking your friend and not ignoring your neighbor so that you go to your brother, but actually going to your neighbor who is nearer than your brother far away. True friends are faithful. And this is why I said it really goes well with 7 and 9 as, as well, because uh, a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. That counsel, that when, when you're, when you're going to give somebody something bitter that they might not want to hear, you're going you're gonna to do that because you're faithful to them. And so when we talk about not forsaking a friend, not saying, oh, you've gone too far, I can't help you here. Or no, this is too many times you've been at my door, I can't help you. Uh, true friends are faithful. Even when a friend does something wrong or a friend has, has made a bad choice or a friend maybe has hurt you, true friends are faithful. We don't just cut them out of our life. We don't just say, forget it. We don't forsake them. And when they show up at your door in their day of calamity, do you help them? If you're faithful, you'll help. True friends are faithful. So Solomon is wanting to encourage the young man needing wisdom to recognize that, that just because somebody says something to me that hurts doesn't mean they don't like me. Because a true friend is honest. And that a, just because people are having a great time and they're including me in the party doesn't mean that they're real friends because a real friend, a true friend is going to be invested in you. They're going to give you counsel. They're going to be there when you're, you're famished in your life. And they're going to be faithful to you. They're not going to forsake you. They're not going to leave you. And that's the kind of friends we need to be to people and to one another. That we would be honest. That we would be invested in each other's lives. To help you grow in Christ. To help me grow in Christ. To help one another grow. And to be faithful. To stick together. To not forsake one another. Not, not just those of a certain generation. But even those that are connected above or below a generation. That we would be able to help one another because we are nearby. And we are here together. As opposed to brothers or sisters who might be far away whether physically or spiritually. I pray that we would be good friends, that we would be true friends to one another, to our friends out in the world, and to our neighbors at home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, as we look at what a true friend is, we see, Lord, that it is right to say that we have a friend in Jesus. Abraham was called a friend of God and we see that you are our friend as well. 
because You're honest with us. You're invested in us and You're faithful to us. And we pray, Lord, that we would be friends to You. That we would be honest with You, Lord. That we would share with You what is really going on in our lives, our hearts, that we would not try to hide from You. Lord, that we would be invested in Your kingdom and in being Your people. That we would be faithful to walk with You through hard times, through challenges, Lord. We pray, Lord, that we would be friends to those in our lives. And we pray that You would show us who who we need to be friends to. There may be people in our lives that are not honest with us and maybe we don't need to strive so hard to be friends with them because they are not our friends. We can love them, yes. But Lord, may we, may we rely on good people, true friends in our lives. And may we be true friends to those that are in our lives. We pray, Lord, that You would show us where we need to change, how we might grow, what those changes might need to be made to to be a good friend and a true friend. And Father, we pray that You would show us somebody we could be a friend to today, this week. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.